This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, we're looking at teacher professionalism in teacher preparation. We're trying to understand why the continued use of the Danielson framework for teaching, why it exists, why does it continue to be used? The Danielson framework is an example of a filter that's commonly used to evaluate pre-service and practicing teachers. Now, the Danielson group describes this as a framework for professional practice. Here, good teaching is comprised of four domains, planning, preparation, the classroom environment, instruction, and professional responsibilities. The four domains are broken into 22 components, and the 22 components are further broken into 76 teeny tiny separate elements. The Danielson group claims that empirical studies have shown the framework to lead to improved student learning. This claim is false and misleading. While there's some research to support some of the 76 teeny tiny elements, if you examine the research cited in the Danielson material, you'll find that much of this research support is questionable at best. Often the research is misused or misinterpreted. As well, there is no research, none, to support the use of the Danielson framework as being more effective than any other framework or more effective than no framework at all for enhancing teacher effectiveness or for improving student learning. It's just a bunch of stuff that somebody thought up once upon a time, and now the Danielson group is using it to sell stuff. Imagine that, making a profit off our students. As well, the Danielson framework claims to capture, quote, good teaching in all of its complexity, unquote. This also is not accurate. Danielson's understanding of good teaching was in fact rather simplistic. Here, good teaching is a matter of manipulating students to a predefined end. This is a teacher-directed, Tylerian approach to teaching that's more appropriate for training a mouse to push a lever than it is for educating real human beings. But sometime in the mid-1990s, Charlotte Danielson deconstructed her simplistic understanding of teaching and learning she broke it down into 76 teeny tiny separate elements, then using the Humpty Dumpty assumption that you can create good teaching simply by putting these 76 teeny tiny separate elements back together again, she set about creating rubrics to measure all the 76 teeny tiny elements. The thinking was that if teachers would just put her 76 teeny tiny elements back together again in just the right way, that all students would learn. Simple as that. But deconstructing nonsense does not make it any less nonsensical. Despite the lack of research and the simplistic view of teaching, the Danielson filter continues to be used by teacher preparation programs and school districts to define and evaluate good teaching and teacher professionalism. The question is, why? Two words. Systems theory. The continued use of the Danielson filter can best be explained within the context of systems theory. 
systems theory describes an interconnected, unfolding universe. Here, it's recognized that any single part can only be understood within the context of the whole. Reality is not comprised of separate fragmented parts, or 76 teeny tiny elements for that fact, but of self-organizing systems. All elements within any system are both interactive and interdependent. Manipulation of any single element impacts all the others. So within the educational system, there are three prominent interconnecting elements, teacher preparation programs, schools, and scholarly work. One of these elements, scholarly work, has been disrupted, thereby impacting all other entities within the educational system. Let me explain. Scholarly work in the educational system generally includes both primary and secondary research. Primary research is where one designs and conducts a study with the purpose of generating new data. This is then published in a peer-reviewed academic journal. However, before any study is accepted for publication in an academic journal, it's subjected to a blind peer review by a jury of one's peers. Collecting data or doing a study is not the same as research. Research is not research unless or until it has been subjected to blind peer review of some sort. Scholarly work also includes secondary research. Here, one reviews a variety of published research articles, identifies reoccurring patterns, synthesizes the results, and then describes the results or makes recommendations for the application of the results. This is secondary research. Secondary research is also published in peer-reviewed journals as well as academic books. While primary research provides an in-depth examination of a single phenomenon, secondary research provides a wider, more complete view of reality based on multiple phenomena. Within the educational system, both are of equal value in maintaining a healthy system and evolving the field. <clears throat> now, prior to 2002, the educational system was informed by research that used a variety of research methods, both quantitative and qualitative. The research method used was always determined by the research question. Some questions can best be answered through the use of quantitative research methods, others through the use of qualitative research methods. But with the passage of the Education Science Reform Act in 2002, the U.S. Department of Education decreed that only a single type of research methodology could be used to ask and answer questions in the field of education. Thereafter, the type of educational research that would get funded by state and federal agencies was severely impacted. The result is that instead of the research question determining the research design, research questions were limited to only those that could be answered by one specific research design. In a severe bit of irony, the U.S. Department of Education labeled this myopic view of research scientifically based research. Here's the irony. How can anything said be said to be truly scientific 
if it ignores or invalidates an abundance of data. The decree put forth by the U.S. Department of Education was that the same research methods used to study the physical world in the artificial confines of a controlled laboratory setting were the only research methods that could be used to study and make causal assertions about human beings in real-world educational settings. Thereafter, the only data that counted in coming to understand educational reality was data that was collected using one specific research method, and that is controlled experimental studies. This was the beginning of the decay of what was once a generally healthy educational system. Schools, teachers, preparation programs began to be misinformed by a very narrow range of scholarly work. Now, I was talking about the filters. The filters are working. This has been a long explanation as to why filters, like the Danielson Framework for Teaching, as well as the NTPA, continue to exist. The filters are working. The percentage of white, Latinx, and black worker uh, teachers in our public schools is highly disproportionate to the percentage of white, Hispanic, and black students. For example, there are 40, 48% of the students in our schools are white, but 80% of the teachers are white. 27 are Latinx, 9% are teachers, 15% of the students are black, and only 7% of our teachers are black. The filters are working. Concepts like teacher professionalism, professional dispositions, and the Danielson framework should be considered to be some of the filters that get in the way of teachers of color entering the educational system. Now, there is no universal conception of teacher professionalism, but in education and teacher education programs, teacher professionalism usually means teacher candidates must adopt somebody else's values and dispositions. They're required to display behaviors that some external entity, unfamiliar with them, with their history, with their philosophy, their values, or their teaching context, has determined to be the correct ones. But who were the people who decided such things? Why did they get to make the decisions? What criteria were used? What teaching philosophy was this based upon? What theoretical model was used to inform their idea of teacher professionalism? And where is the body of research that supports one concept of teacher professionalism as being more effective than another? Or research that supports one concept of teacher professionalism as more effective than no concept of all? The Danielson filter, as well as similar filters, was created by a group of people who decided that they knew which values, behaviors, and dispositions were the best ones, and that the idea of teacher professionalism should be based on these. They made the decision that all pre-service and practicing teachers should have them. This is the Danielson filter. Not only is it a bit presumptuous, but it also reflects the myth of cultural superiority which perpetuates systemic racism. Yet, teacher preparation programs and school districts continue to use the Danielson filter. Why?